what are your rights if your house floods? Is it still your house or is it no longer in your ownership because it's under yeah, the sea? Yeah, once something goes underwater, it's technically public property. <laughs> so like, if your house is half underwater, do you get a discount on your council tax? <laughs> that was so like, funny. Hello and welcome back to No Books on a Dead Planet, the podcast where we read books about the climate that you're scared to read so you don't have to. And the hope is that at the end of the podcast, you might want to read the book anyway. Just tempting you, just saying. Um, today, we have a very special guest. We have Sana Vliegenhardt with us. Hello, Sana. Hello, hello. Thank you for attempting to pronounce my last name. How I was always it? appreciate it. Pretty good, pretty In good. In 13 years of friendship, I think I'm getting better. Yes, by Vliegenhardt. Vliegenhardt. There you go. But the thing is, focus on that first name, and then once you got okay. that right, it's good. If you didn't know from the surname, Sana is from what the author of this book has termed <laughs> Kingdom of Fish. True. You are from what would otherwise be a kingdom of fish. It would be a kingdom of fish if we hadn't done anything about <laughs> yes, it. Yes, you have saved yourself from the kingdom of fish, but we'll see. Maybe it will we'll be the kingdom of fish in yeah. the future. Um, so, Sana, would you like to just introduce yourself a little bit for anybody who is audacious enough to not know your work? Yeah, definitely. So, I go by books and quills on the internet and have done for a very long time. Um, you can hear me talk about, as you might suspect, books mm-hmm. uh, on YouTube and TikTok and Instagram. Um, I also am a freelancer in publishing and we, we met through doing YouTube and working in publishing together. I've lived in London for about 10 years mm-hmm. and I love apocalyptic fiction. I just like to think about the world ending. So I thought for this, I was like, well, this is an easy win. Sometimes I feel like I, I need to twist people's arms to come on, but I was like, Sana will be there. <laughs> And I'm also the host of the End of the World Book Club podcast. Mm. On any podcast platform anywhere, waiting yep. for you once you finish this episode. Um, so on the podcast, I like to either let the guest pick the book or I give them some suggestions and then they pick from it. Because I think the most important thing to do when you're starting with reading books about the climate is that you pick a book that you genuinely have an interest in and there's a little spark there for you already. And I think as things as things continue to develop, there are more and more climate books on the market. Mm-hmm. So I really think that there are starting to be enough books where you can really tailor your reading experience <laughs> towards your own special interest. Um, so, Sana, I know that you already own this book. The book that we are reading um, this time is The Water Will Come by Jeff Goodell? Goodell? Goodell. Good question. Who? Could, I mean, he's quite good, so I think I'd like to call him Goodell. 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 <laughs> you picked this book, and I would love to hear why. I mean, you are into the apocalypse, and uh, if you haven't seen the front cover, the cover is just a picture of some very, very tall buildings being submerged by water. That cover is is incredible. Incredibly terrifying. love it, yes. And that's kind of the vibe of the book, I would say. I hadn't heard of this book before, but then my dear friend and flatmate read it, I think, and I saw the cover and I thought, ooh, that is of interest. Mm -hmm. And I can read you the um, dedication of the book, the personal dedication that's written in it. It says, Dear Sana, for your 30th birthday, you asked for a book about how we're all going to die and it will be our fault. I'm happy to oblige. Congratulations on the end of the world. Happy 30th birthday. (laughs) A movie. That's like a kind of um, millennial gift for our time. (laughs) And appropriately, I also asked for it secondhand. So it's a secondhand copy. I think it's an American edition. It's quite floppy. They do like the long grain in America. You've got the floppy, yeah. the floppy bendable books. Much more of a flexible reader over there, I think. We're much more stiff. 
I was aware of this book. So when you mentioned it, I was like, oh, oh interesting. It's the underwater book. Yep. <laughs> and actually, this is a really great example of the books that I am scared to read about the climate. Okay. Even though I've delved into the world of climate books because of this podcast. Yeah. And only through this podcast and setting up my like my own artificial level of like social implication, like feeling like I have a deadline, feeling that people are expecting it of me. And that's actually how I motivate myself to read but this I would say this is on my list of books that I was very terrified to read but I was like I'm glad that I'm doing it with you I would only do it I think this is a book that I would only buddy read I don't want to know all this information on my own and have nowhere to talk about it at the end of it so I was coming straight out of the uninhabitable earth which I haven't finished famously because it's another book that I read the first 33% of it Mm -hmm. and I was like that's enough for me for now yeah so I would say this is a lighter version of that in a way in a sort of can you deal with it way probably just because it's tackling one topic instead of all of them yeah it's much more kind of and although i would also say that's kind of like saying the ninth circle of hell is actually a little (laughs) bit more mild than the tenth circle of hell not quite as hot (laughs) i think it's interesting that that was your choice unsurprising Interesting, but unsurprising. And I thought it'd be you. relevant, you know. Um, and I think that one question I always like to ask people on this podcast is like, how comfortable do you feel, honestly, about having conversations about the climate? Mm-hmm. Because this is a book that you willingly asked for. You were mm-hmm. like, I saw that cover and I want that on my shelves, which is a slightly different um, a- approach than I have to it. And I mean, I'd, I'd love to hear, yeah, how you feel about conversations about the climate. I'm the kind of person that read plague books during covid Mm -hmm. at the height of covid Mm -hmm. so i am very happy to talk about it all i feel like i talk about it with my partner quite a lot i talk about it with friends a lot i have no issues reading books about the topic i don't know if it's because i am dutch and we're quite like down to earth practical Mm -hmm. people Mm -hmm. or if it's just my own personality i would rather know And be informed and know what's going on. Because to me, that's less scary than not knowing. So you're more of a tell it to me straight doc. Yes. Kind of <laughs> yeah, Whereas much. I'm like, ooh, maybe give me some medicine first. Ease me into it. Sign me up with a therapist and then maybe tell yeah. me a little bit of I'm, the truth. I'm very much like, what are we dealing with? <laughs> like, how bad is it really? Mm. I want to know. I'm interested in that, like, that um, guess that maybe it is also a little bit of, like, a cultural Dutch thing. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's also connected to the fact that, and I've now learned from this book, that Mm -hmm. 70% of the Netherlands is below sea level? My parents' house, I believe, is four metres below sea level. And it is uh, a 20-minute walk from the coast. So you, you can't see this in audio form, but I am pulling the flesh of my skin down off my face and towards the floor. That we, is very terrifying. We went to a museum exhibit and you could put in your postcode and it would be like, yeah, it was about, you know, the future and green energy. And it was like, how far are you below seawater? And it was, uh, it was not good. So, so yeah. do you feel like you're also more comfortable talking about it? Because that's something that people already talk about. Well, the thing is, do people talk about it? Well, uh, you tell me, you're there, I haven't been there. It feels like, uh, we've got it covered. Okay. Up to a point. Mm. They recently, in my town in the last few years, they upped the dunes. (laughs) They redid the whole coast area to future-proof it, Mm -hmm. to a certain degree. I don't know, to what degree. But I feel like, reading this book, I was definitely looking out for mentions of Dutch people. And there's a um, boy where they're quite every time they were like, so we've pulled in an expert, <laughs> Dutch architect, blah, 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 Dutch <laughs> science person, <laughs> Dutch engineer. That it, was, it was peppered with Dutch people. This is a quote from the book. Where there is a city at risk of flooding, you'll likely find a Dutch engineer offering or just as often selling a solution. 
when you watch the news, you'd be like, oh, this horrible thing has happened somewhere. And you kind of know that like a Dutch engineering team is going to go out there and is already on the which plane. is like a weird pride it's like oh mm. no something horrible happened but it is kind of as- assumed at this point and so i think it's something that dutch people are probably quite proud of as like we've got this knowledge out of necessity mm. um but yeah it's an interesting one yeah i think as an overview of the book in general actually what's the subtitle you've got the we've got yes, the cover here tell it us is, mm. rising seas sinking cities and the remaking of the civilized world if I was going to summarise what the book was about, I actually read the digital version, so I actually am now having the realisation that I never read the blurb. I just went, because you told me what it was called, and I downloaded it onto my Kindle and never read the blurb. How I would summarise it blind was that I would say that it's um, a book that goes through a lot of the logistical problems people are currently having with seawater rise levels and what we could be facing in the future. Mm-hmm. What interrogating what some of the solutions are with loads of like different anecdotes from different experts and at the end coming to a bit of a soupy conclusion that's like look it could go either way this is an opportunity or it could be like the shittest thing to ever happen who can say it feels like a very on the ground like Mm. he's a journalist he's obviously very involved in the topic and he went to loads of locations and that's what i really loved about the book it's like oh now he's in alaska mm. now he's talking to obama now he's now in nigeria he's, now he's talking to some real estate owner in miami who's denying climate change like mm. i really liked that it wasn't just him like on a you know sitting on his chair at home sitting at his desk typing it out it felt like he was quite involved in the topic and really cared mm. about it mm. which is, sometimes it feels more some people write a climate book because they've like kind of picked it up as casual interest I think Mm. and this feels very involved which I liked yeah I definitely feel like it was a very thorough book for those who are already interested in engineering or stats I would really recommend for me it was a bit of both I liked again I think it's more my interest is that I liked the kind of more anthropological stuff about Mm. like Noah they talk a lot about the the, um the origins of the Noah story and how it probably wasn't originated in the bible it was probably originated from some pseudo rumors slash mythology around like a very specific flood that did happen so i I find all the kind of psychology especially Mm -hmm. some of his speculations of the psychology of rich people oh (laughs) around it was really really interesting but for me it was very data heavy and i what i wish and this is more about me as a reader is that i wish i had read it over a longer period of time so i could let those stats sink in google things a little bit come back to the next chapter whereas because i read it all in one mm-hmm. i was like this is a lot of numbers jeff jeff it's a lot of it's a lot of numbers see coming out of the uninhabitable earth which i read before <laughs> this feels way more conversational mm. still has a lot of numbers but less and also this i read physically which i would recommend i think reading mm. physically rather than audio because uninhabitable earth i read by listening to it and then as soon as you get any numbers it just starts yeah. floating through your head so i really like this has like pictures in it did your ebook it have did pictures have pictures in it mm-hmm. very nice um yeah to me this felt more like watching a documentary maybe mm-hmm. which is why i was okay to have like some stats and things thrown at me i was just so fascinated by like you're saying the rich people the sort of he meets two kinds of people he meets the scientists who are basically going we know what's wrong. We know mm. how to fix it. Probably. Please listen to us. Mm. And then he just meets a ton of people who are like, we're rich. Whatever. It's fine. Mm. It will solve itself. Science will solve it. I believe but meanwhile, humanity. not listening to any of the scientists that are saying we've got a problem. Yeah, it's it's concerning. And I think I think that the book did a really good job of, of like walking around the topic of 
sea level rise and kind of like looking at it from all angles. I don't, and I think this is really good. I don't feel like he had a really strong agenda that was like, oh, this is this is what you should do at the end. Although or, it does say in the beginning, if you don't believe in climate change, this is not the book for you. Like, yeah. I'm not going to try and like. Although I feel you like that that's not real. having a, a. I think believing in climate change isn't like an opinion. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like <laughs> taking into account the science and the fact that he believes in climate change. <laughs> Beyond that, I yeah. don't think he had like a very strong, um, like journalistic voice which i actually think was quite helpful mm. if you're reading this book to just try and educate yourself more about the topic in general yeah rather than it causing i don't know a, and he lets a lots of, of people speak which is nice like yeah it's a lot of direct of quotes mm. and um, a lot of um and when especially when he interviews obama which i'd, I'd like to unpack at some point I, <laughs> loved, I don't know at what point i loved it's just like oh oh we're now talking to obama he's oh he's doing a one-on-one interview with obama he okay, had an cool. hour with obama yeah how big and obama gave him more time he's like yeah we'll keep talking about this topic i thought that was fascinating and that he was willing to just be like, yeah, no holes barred. Let's talk about climate change for an hour. And I'm like, yeah. cool. This book was written in, I think it was probably four or five, six years ago. I think it's 2017. Trump was in power. Which quite colors this book. It's very mm. of its time. Mm. And I'm curious if there will be an updated version and what that would be like. Because so much of it is like, oh man. Trump just got in power. Let's see what this does. And I yeah. found that quite fascinating. And the interview with Obama is when he's in his like very last term and he kind of knows that it's over. But um, Trump is uh, campaigning, but he everyone's not taking him seriously yet. So it's interesting to have a, like a, an interview with Obama before he knows what the, th- what the threats are and yeah. that they might actually, like the US might actually back out of the Paris Agreement. And oh other, other fun historical moments that we in the present day remember vividly. And also Obama predicts COVID. Yes, he does. He says, he says oh, my biggest fear is a worldwide pandemic. We're due one. Maybe it'll be SARS. Maybe bird flu. Oh. But a lot of experts are saying that. So I kind of, yeah. I, res- I, res- I, can, I can see why. I think yeah. it might not be like the Obviously only canary. Obviously he'd you know, what we should be worried about. And that was one of them. Yeah. Um, how did you feel about the Obama interview in general? Do you want to go into it now? I, I, I thought that it was worrying. <laughs> Although I, it sounds also like him... It's, it was very much within the remit of what I understand he does as a politician. He's very pragmatic, but I think it's also a good learning curve for us when we think about whether politicians are doing their job because their job is dependent on the, uh, on the masses agreeing with them. There's more bits about politicians in the sort of military chapter as well, where they mm. talk about like how the military is going to deal with climate change. And yeah, the, it feels like the conclusion he just, you know, the author comes to is like, or you come to as you mm. listen to the interviews, is like whether politicians b- believe or in climate yeah. change or are actively fighting against it. They know that the moment they say that, they lose half the people. Mm. And so they have to find other reasons or other ways to discuss it and convince people even if they want to say you know we're in dire trouble climate change is happening we need to do something it seems like they can't say it out loud in that way and they kind of know they can't which i found interesting which i'm not i mean am i against it i don't know to me i'm like whatever gets stuff done i guess Mm. Um, but does it get stuff done? But that's what's confusing about the role of a politician in our lives. It's because we often think of them influencing us. Yeah. And actually they're saying, whether it's true or not, they're saying, actually, I don't have the power to influence people's yeah. 
people's opinions what i need to do is use their opinions to back specific things that i believe in yeah at, at their own pace and in their own time yeah. and, and um, jeff is talking to obama and he's like yeah but that doesn't really work with climate change does it because we don't really have any time and obama's answer to my memory was kind of like well it's either that or do nothing so yeah. eat it <laughs> or i'm very like, crude I'm, summary I'm of obama's power yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and he's like, if I don't do it at this pace, I won't be here at all. Yeah. Somebody else will be making the decisions. And yeah. they might make worse ones. And it's, this, again, the same with that military chapter. They're like, well, we need a new docks because mm. the sea levels are rising. But if we say we need new docks for this military base because of sea levels, uh, any politician that is on on the sort of camp of, well, we can't talk about climate change, will go, no, 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 cross that out. We don't need that. If they just go, we need new docks, then it gets signed off and they just build them higher and they just don't say anything about it. Yeah. That's like, wow, that is, they're playing the game. They know. Yeah. But they have, you know, there's just certain things that are almost like taboo because you know one half is immediately going to go, no. Even if it's a good idea, no, because that confirms climate change. Yeah, something that they don't want. (laughs) Because that doesn't work. And it felt like a lot of the Mm. book is about all the people that benefit from the idea that climate change isn't real, even though they probably believe it, but they can't admit it because if they do, their whole industry is going down and they know their whole industry is going down and they can't Mm. keep making the money that they're making. And that's quite depressing. And I think it also might come from a bit of a, I don't want to blame it all on the boomers, but a, a, a slightly, I hope, becoming extinct attitude to careers Mm -hmm. where people are so married to their career and their discipline and their industry that they would rather like not sink that ship and they'd rather just die yes or they'd like happily let their children die that's the other thing they're half of them are going i won't be there for that that's in 40 years i'm like your kids will be alive in 40 years What are you? Yeah, it's what are you talking about? It's very. I couldn't believe how many people he interviewed that just literally just said it. I was like, no, I thought that's something that you would think and not say aloud. (laughs) But they're like, no, put me on the record. Like, go for it. (laughs) Does not make you feel hopeful about a large demographic of people. Yes, definitely. And I also it made me think a lot about how I don't know. I feel. I feel like all of the action is necessary. So I'm not pitting one bit of action against another. But when we think about us civilians, just people like, what have I got? I've got a podcasting mic and I've got a vote. <laughs> and that's literally probably about it. Yeah. And I, I feel like I do want to encourage people to be like, talk to your MP, talk to your politicians, vote. Excellent. Do all that. But also I've realised from this book that politicians also need the social license to do it so they might agree with you the letters that i'm writing they might be like i would also write that letter in your position but i can't do anything because of it so it's also important to turn around and talk to the people around you yeah because without that it doesn't matter if the politicians agree with us Uh (laughs) ah so uh, it's kind of like a pebble dash effect almost where i'm like yeah we do need to talk to the people in power yeah but if we don't simultaneously talk to the people around us the people in power won't be allowed to do anything because that's unfortunately how democracy works and i've said unfortunately and i regret saying unfortunately that's fortunately (laughs) how democracy works because dictatorships aren't my fave either but it does make me feel like there are limits to what politicians can do and that's scary the psychological part of it is so weird the sort of humans and i think he mentioned it mentions it in the book as well Mm. that humans can't deal with change they can't process it until they can see it Mm. and because you i mean you can see floods happening and be like oh it's just a flood it's a flood if you Mm. could see the level 
rising, rising with your own eyes, eventually you're going to go, oh, it's real. But I think people are so good at just telling themselves like, oh, that's a problem for later. Oh, is it really happening? I don't know. It's like that. I don't know. I don't know where that comes from in the human psychology, but... I feel like every climate change book I read mentions this at some point. The phenomenon of being able to see. It is just unfortunate that people are better equipped to deal with like a huge change that happens all at once. They're like, okay, you know, let's do it. Mm. But if it's slowly happening, even though you have a better chance of working against it, don't do anything. And I think that's, it's kind of encouraging because I feel, I think the phrase that he used in one part that stuck with me was he said that the only X factor in the equation, like the only like part of the equation that we can't predict is human psychology. Yeah. That's the only part that like nobody, when you're asking for like, how many years do we have? How long will this take? How bad will it be? He's like, nobody can truly give the answer to that question because the X factor is us. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, sinister, but also hopeful because that is something that I do actually feel like I could start to understand how to change. Um, whereas I, like physics, I can't start there. Yeah. We can't change physics. That's not <laughs> happening. I've made peace with it. And there's actually a quote that I really liked um, when he was talking about this idea of like, a lot of people think about o- ocean sea level rise mm-hmm. as being able to be solved by barriers and engineering mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And he said, "Whenever, you, wherever you build a wall, there's always a risk that mother nature won't accept your design specifications. <laughs> and I like that as well, where it's like, I feel like we've been presented ocean guards as like a mm-hmm. solution and it sounds like i feel like they he gives about seven different examples of like in venice they're doing this project that cost this many billions and in new york they're gonna just half of manhattan is gonna have a wall around it well mm. never heard of that before it's gonna cost this much and then every time he explains it it's like oh but it kind of only works for like a little bit and only for this much water and if this goes wrong or if this gets slightly delayed like all of it is not even from the beginning, mm. it doesn't seem like it's going to be that great. They all seem a little like, maybe it'll help for a bit. Like yeah. nothing seems like, like none of those like dams or walls seems like they're going to be. It's like, it's just delaying. Yeah. The inevitable. He described the U, I think they call it the U wall. The kind of, the U yes. bend. <laughs> that's that's a toilet. It, it's, the, it's the kind of hoop that they're that they're talking about like building around manhattan oh it's the big you the big you (laughs) (laughs) and i'm the big me the big you which i think they maybe need to workshop the branding but maybe that's not their top priority right now but the big you is going to be built around manhattan and and well apparently it's one of the things they're talking about and something that's scary about that is that he's like okay that sounds really good in a news article but actually if you know anything about walls is that the water's going to go somewhere So if you build a wall around Manhattan, the sea levels will rise elsewhere because where's the, where's the water going to go? It's going to rise higher elsewhere. And also it can get around the sides. Yeah. So actually there's some moral implications of like where the wall stops. Yeah, the rich people get a wall and then everyone else uh, just has to deal with the consequences. Yeah, and they're prioritising Wall Street classic. What a- oh man, that <laughs> sentence. They talk about it for a few pages and then finally goes, oh, actually it is placed specifically to protect Wall Street and to protect the economy. Mm. Right. And he did give a few paragraphs, like not justifying it in a moral sense, but explaining it and being like, well, that is the epicenter of like where our economy stems from. So if it goes under, the whole of the the US will be at risk. And I'm like, uh, from a very very basic tertiary perspective, I'm like, yeah, I get that. But also, isn't it online? (laughs) Like, I don't want to be like a dick, but I'm like, Sorry, but, but isn't Wall Street kind of something that is kind yeah, of in the dish? Of like, it, can't you just move? But all of it relies on people having faith in it. And if it's underwater, 
everything's gonna tank because people will be like, oh, what's happened? Even if that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Because it all just relies on... The symbolism. Yeah. So they wouldn't even just pick a, a different street that's a little bit higher up. Like, what... You could call it Wall Street. We've invented streets. Headlines. Wall Street is oh changing. Everything's going down. I feel like it's down. all like imaginary stuff that we've invented. And I'm like, okay, can we not just move them down? The whole downtown? world is hanging together from like shoestrings. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, it was, it's really interesting. And again, like an exercise in psychology. Was it the, was it the book that you were expecting? Do you feel like when you, you've had this book on your shelf for mm-hmm. ages. So you must have had some kind of like ghostly pensive perspective of like what it, what you thought you were about to read. It went to what well, was more dated than I thought it was going to be, which is because you left it on your shelf. For I so know long. I should have read it. At the, well, maybe even then, I've had it since no 2019, so it would have felt a little bit more relevant maybe at the time. It went to more places than I thought it was going to go. It was mm. still quite America centered. Yes, but I loved the chapter on island nations. I mm. thought that was interesting. Sometimes when you read a climate book, I feel like it's going to tell me stuff I already know with like mm. little bits of extra that maybe is you know a different perspective. This taught me loads about very specific issues I didn't know were issues, about specific countries and people and strategies. I thought I had like little interesting nuggets in every chapter. And so I, I really liked that. I did kind of feel like it was going to fizzle a little bit in the end. And it did. It kind mm. of, I think the rest of the book is more interesting than the end. There's not really a solution. There's not really yeah. you know anything. But I don't know, it gave me a really different way of looking at this issue where before all I knew was the water will rise and it will be a problem. Mm. That's kind of where I was at. Yeah. And so I found it interesting, especially when he talked about that what we need is time. Mm. Like we can retreat from the coast. Obviously, we need to, you know, stop CO2 emissions, et cetera, and, you know, stop it altogether. But what we what we realistically need is more time to keep retreating, building up, that kind of thing, just to keep people safe, realistically. Mm. Um, but yeah, I was very intrigued about how he went into stories about Australia and myths that there were um, that go back, what is it, like hundreds, thousands of years mm. about people living with rising water. And I don't know, it, it took some expe- like unexpected twists and turns, which I really appreciated. Yeah. And How I, about you? I, I really, I really liked, like I said, all the, I just think that I, I struggled to follow some of it. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, or I don't know if it's just because I didn't care about the mechanisms of how it was being done. <laughs> But I struggled to follow some of it. But in general, I did think it was really useful. I think there was also like a bit of hope in every chapter. Mm-hmm. And the way he was kind of like, look, here's the thing. We all came from the ocean. <laughs> we all had gills at one point. And now the it's coming ocean, for us. <laughs> and now it's coming for us. But also there was a point where it was completely acceptable to keep moving. Mm-hmm. We have this like fetishization yeah. with staying still in one place. that doesn't necess- That's not necessary for survival. So the idea that we have to stay in one place and we have like an emotional tie to a place is it's important but it's not necessary yeah um so that was interesting and i think also the fact that actually we romanticize living by the sea holidaying by the sea being by the sea and actually in a very ancient very real way the beach was a very scary place to oh, be oh i love that instinctually well. we should be scared of the beach yeah it's what's like going on people that lived near the beach knew that the beach was dangerous and the sea was dangerous so stay away and then the rich tourists would come and be like i need to bathe in the ocean and then they started mm. building up like brighton and stuff like that i found that fascinating and also people's what it keeps coming back to as well is just people don't want to move away 
they will literally there's a whole bit about what are your rights if your house floods is it still your house or is it no longer in your ownership because it's under yeah the once sea? something goes underwater it's technically public property <laughs> so like, if your house is half house? underwater do you get a discount on your council tax it's <laughs> like, like funny and i'm like real miami problems <laughs> that's good that's happening right now but yeah there's so many communities where he went to interview people where they, they know it's going down. And sometimes the government offers to buy out and some people go and some people are like, no, I'm staying. Because um, there's, there's a town somewhere in the UK as well that I think is like, you know, at risk of going. Yeah. And so many people just saying, no, this is, I mean, it makes sense. This is where I live. I'm going to stay here. Mm. And then the question is, they can stay there until they die and then the water will come later or will the water come in their lifetime? Yeah. It's like, how do you decide how long you can stay for if you don't know what the predictions are? But yeah, so many communities for you know reasons I can understand mm. don't want to move, but yeah, the water will come, as the title says. <laughs> He's saying, yeah. Jeff knows. Yeah. And I think it's inter- also it might help me interrogate like my relationship to land because I feel like, and this is mainly probably because of my own like experiences, privileges, upbringings, but I just can't imagine ever being attached to a piece of land that was trying to kill me like so much that I'd rather die. Like, you know, I, I think that I'd feel differently if somebody was trying to take something that I saw as collectively my land or our land mm-hmm. I'd probably defend it because I wouldn't want them to have it. That's not fair. And that's how everybody understandably feels throughout history. But if the land is actively trying to eject me, that's a really interesting conundrum. I'm like, you love the land so much that if it's literally like, I am going to sink you and drown you, you're like, explain the whole of the Netherlands. Well, exactly. I think people just want to believe, whether it's true or not, that it'll be fine. Mm. It's fine. It's been fine so far. What's what's to say it won't be fine? Hmm. How do you feel about it when you think about the Netherlands? Or is that why you're not going home? <laughs> That's okay. It's Stay here, please. I like you being here. Being at my parents' house doesn't feel like it's about to flood. Feels fine. Yeah. Feels absolutely fine. The mm. ocean's a while away. Mm-hmm. There's some dunes. It feels fine. Mm. I can see why people, even that live at the coast, there are like, oh, you know, what's the problem? We'll 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 know when it's. Gonna be There'll a be problem. warning, yeah. That's obviously very often not how it goes. Also, the Netherlands is a country that doesn't have very extreme weather. Mm. So you don't feel like, oh, it's going to be a huge flood again soon. I mean, there was a huge flood in the 60s in the Netherlands where lots of dikes broke. And that was a, the, they talk about it in the book as well. That was the moment that they started taking it really, really seriously and thought, okay, this was mm. a huge disaster. We can't have this again. But I can also see why like if half of your country is at flood risk, but so far it's been fine. Mm. Do you move? Yeah, do you upload upload your like up uproot your whole life for that? I was thinking actually when I was reading this book, um, a really vivid memory I have, and I know that you have met him and know him as well, but my first ever boss in publishing, my first ever job, when I finally quit that job to go to a new job, mm-hmm. it, he instead of being like, please stay or I'm uh, good luck. I'm glad you're leaving. He just kind of like led me to the table silently. This is like the end of the day when everybody else had gone home. Silently led me to the to the big table in the middle of the office and unfolded a ordnance survey map. <laughs> and he said, "Lena, you're doing so well. Like one day you're going to make enough money to buy a house. And when you do, 
What I need you to do is look at this ordnance survey map because some of London will be underwater and I think you should be investing in real estate that's above that's above that level. And I was like, that's that was his priority when he was and this must have been like seven, that's, eight years ago. Yeah. And he's an eccentric, you met him. No. And but it doesn't surprise me at all. And he was like, and that is why I live in this area. And he like pointed to it and I was like okay. I mean after all the you know, there was so much rain and floodings in London as well, and people in basement apartments yeah. Go flat and just mm. get flooded. No warning after a big mm. rainstorm. So it's something to think about. But mm. also, some people will have to live there. Yeah. That's the other thing. I think so much of the book is just talking about like what so many people don't have the option to move away. Mm. So many so, whole country. You know, it's not funny. It's like yeah, it's and it's like, like and then who's responsible? And uh, they talk so much about the responsibility of the countries that are producing all the CO2 and that are just, you know, consuming and producing and whatever. What happens? Like, are, are they personally held responsible for what happens to other countries? Mm. Do they have to pay? Do they take in climate refugees? Like, how mm. does that play out? And there don't seem to be any, like, rules or decisions. Maybe it's changed since this book was written. I don't know mm. how much has been updated since then, but that's so interesting to think about as well and yeah. who deserves to have their own industrial revolution and mm. and build up their country you know oh you can't do it anymore now but the other countries got to do it 100 yeah. years ago but they're also not going to share the money with you so that's cool enjoy yeah. and i think as well it's like i i found the the focus on miami was like interesting mm-hmm. and i i get why he did it because it's symbolically a very interesting yes it's very different from new york it's very different from anywhere else a lot of people just accept that it's the next atlantis <laughs> which again it was a phrase that i was like what the fuck is happening there's a but, there's a great meme that is um i don't know if it's an official meme but it's mm-hmm. people saying you know i'll just when that time comes i'll just sell my house and then he goes to whom aquaman it's like <laughs> you know when you sell your house like somebody has to want to buy it like do you know do you understand so yeah i think it's interesting like thinking about the people from the u.s who are featured in the miami sections Mm -hmm. and i wonder how people who who live in island nations would feel about hearing about that because they're like sorry so you legally can move elsewhere in your own country and you have the option and you have the money and you still won't when people who are living in island nations can't move anywhere else that's literally where they live that's their passport that's their life they didn't have an option. And to hear like people in Miami be like, ah, well, you know, I just don't really like the next town over. <laughs> but we're going to build a few new flats here that will probably not be, be here for very long. Yeah. But you get the money. Oh my God, the property tax. I learned so much about Miami property mm. tax and Florida property tax about how that is how the, the state makes its money. And so it's property is so involved in how that whole state runs it's like at the core of it which yeah. i hadn't realized before and so, yeah so if you discharge all of those houses that are at flood risk then they will lose they have no tax. money to run the state yeah it it does involve it, again it's just like another reminder that it does involve system change as well yeah. and like everything is going is going to have to change um i i felt like uh ho- hopeful in that this book allowed me to like pseudo meet more experts than I thought were working mm-hmm. on. <laughs> I was like, okay, some people are really clever. They're already like, they've thought about how they're going to do this. That's reassuring. But also I think, they, yeah, hearing the Miami people didn't give me great hope because I don't, I'm not, I don't think I am one of those British people who's like, we're not like those Americans. I'm like, yeah, we're totally like those. Like if there was like a British Atlantis, there would 100% be British yeah. people who were like, I'm not leaving. This is where I live. <laughs> so it doesn't, re- it doesn't restore any faith for me. I found besides 
hearing certain people speak that you think well, you're just in denial or you're actively pretending like you're in denial so you can keep making money. Mm. Um, besides that, I did find it quite hopeful. Okay, good. Just because he does keep saying throughout the book, like, if we can just lower our CO2 emissions so it doesn't get to a point where it becomes so unpredictable that the water is going to rise so like it's going to get to that tipping point everyone always talks about if we can just keep it under that we will have to move lots of people Hmm. but that's doable we can slowly do that over time but we need to slow down and so it does seem like throughout the book he's like gotta slow down the carbon emissions and we gotta make some plans to move but that that will be okay mm. if it gets worse than that. And if we keep, you know, just going mm. at the pace that we're going at, it's not going to be okay. Yeah. And so I found that a helpful sort of mantra that he kept going back to. Yeah, totally. And I think also like the idea that we have to drive down emissions sound, people make it sound really complicated and really stressful and like it might not be worth it. And politicians do that a lot. And they're like, it's just going to be such an effort. And then you hear experts talking through all the different ways that we could not do that and instead build flood defenses. And I, and then it starts to feel like actually reducing our emissions is the easier option. Oh my god, and maybe cheaper. <laughs> and because... maybe cheaper. Yeah. So yeah, it kind of makes you feel like build a five billion dollar wall, then put five billion dollars into reducing emissions. Yeah, and it and it's also like quite if if we are able to visualize it and see the visual implications of it, then I think it's a better motivator, honestly, for me to be like yeah, I am going to go to war with the meat industry because I don't think eating meat is this good that we have to watch a whole island nation go underwater for it. Like there are yeah. very visual implications of doing stuff that I'm like, right, okay, I see, I see, I see, sir. And I think in some ways it's kind of like a good bit of like medicine, a little bit of dock leaf on the sting of like, I think you can't have a car or I think you need to share your car with the other people on your street. But remember, it would be harder to try and build a whole fucking wall around your country and keep the water out. That yeah. would be harder. Yeah. So yeah, it's a good, it's a spoonful of sugar that helps the medicine go down. I think that's maybe how I would... Idea. Listen, like I said in the beginning, I like being informed. I'm yeah. glad. I, I'm glad I know all the stuff that's in here, for better or for worse. I'm glad I know it. And I appreciate you for that. I think it's nice to be around that energy because I don't natu- It doesn't naturally occur in my body. <laughs> so, like, I'm hoping that it's going to come through osmosis into Is it going to cost some sleepless yeah. nights, do you think? Maybe. I, I mean, I think flooding is one of the things I worry about, but I think that there's so much to worry about. <laughs> my subconscious might forget about this one i think also like it's interesting early on in our friendship we were talking about like end of the world scenarios mm-hmm. because it comes up a lot mm-hmm. <laughs> and um i remember you saying like oh because uh, i was like oh i read that book about the world ending and it scared me so much i had to stop reading and you were like oh i just kept reading and i was like how do you just keep reading that kind of book and you were like well because i think that when if that actually does happen i'll just take a pill I'm not going to be around for it. I'm not going to actually fight the zombies. I mean, yeah, was... a lot of that was about zombie apocalypse. Okay, zombie... not, you know, It was water... specifically zombies. <laughs> not the water levels okay. rising, but yeah. I understand why you wouldn't be interested in fighting a zombie. But I, I feel like stressed when I read zombie stuff because I'm like, well, I've got to start taking notes because I will be fighting the zombies. And what if I don't do what these... At that point, you know, I'm like, humanity is It feels over, real to fine. me. Maybe it's just a good fiction writing, but I'm like, well, I feel like this is going to happen to me, so I need to prepare. And you're like, well, <laughs> I'd never deal with that. <laughs> So the pragmatism is is almost inspirational, if a little sinister. <laughs> but I love it. Who would you recommend this book to? Would it be everyone? Would it be anyone? Would it be somebody at the beginning of their climate reading journey? Would it be somebody who's like deep, like balls deep in it already? 
I think even if you know quite a lot about it, you could still get something from this. Mm. I think there will be, even if you know the stats, you might not know the personal stories or the other way around. I think because it touches so many topics, I, I'm, I'm guessing that most people won't have read about all of those topics. I think mm. it'll be interesting. I mean, obviously it is on the higher stress level. Uh, so if you are actively already in huge climate anxiety, maybe don't read this one. Although... I don't know. Again, like I say, it depends on your personality. I find it helpful to know where we're at. Mm. And if you want something that's more like storytelling rather than lots of stats, Mm. then maybe this isn't for you either. But personally, I thought it was conversational enough Mm. that hopefully even if you don't read, you know, lots of scientific papers and stuff, you can still read it. Yeah, it it definitely wasn't an academic book. And it also goes from topic to topic fast enough that if there was a bit about glaciers and I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Glacier, glacier, glacier. Fine. Next <laughs> next chapter, please. But then it does, you know, it does some history. It does some mm. folklore. It does, like, there's a nice yeah, mix of definitely. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think I'd say that too. And I think, yeah, I definitely wouldn't say this is the first climate book. And I also think if you're somebody who's just looking to take action, this is big picture thinking. This is not something that, I mean, we should know about it so we can't be lied to about it. And yeah. definitely after reading it, if somebody's just like, we'll just build a dam. I'm going to be like, no, I'm not damn sure about that. Like, that's not like, you know, so I think that it's, yeah. it's more of like a pre- preventative for being lied to. And and, and like I said, I think yeah. it is, it's more of a reminder that actually the best and easiest and most exciting thing is to just reduce emissions. <laughs> like there isn't a way, we can't yeah. technology ourselves out of it. Because it is easy with lots of, you know, hearing lots of different people and lots of different conversations to get a little bit taken away from the like what does actually help what do we actually need to do Mm. and what is impossible and I feel like this book does make me feel like it is possible just because you know that people are working on it this is what the majority of people that work in this field are saying Mm. like it's good to kind of know like we we do kind of know what needs to be done and that's helpful to get a reminder for as well it's the will rather than the means that we're missing so yeah, thank you for reading it with me. I really I, enjoyed it. I had on heart would time. not have read it if <laughs> so you hadn't you did. <laughs> prodded me. So I actually, if you're going to read this book, I would also recommend Buddy reading it if you're more like yes. my personality rather yes. than son. A Buddy reader. Find your local Dutch person and then read it with them. <laughs> yeah, and give it some straight talking Dutch people <laughs> to be like, look, it's just the way it is. Keep reading. Turn the page. I don't care if you're crying. Keep turning. Love it. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Where can people find you if they'd like to find more of your voice? They can find me on the End of the World Book Club podcast mm-hmm. if you want to read some more apocalyptic fiction and nonfiction. Mm-hmm. And on the rest of the internet on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, at Books and Wills. We're so active on TikTok. It's really as another aspirational thing that I'm not going <laughs> to... I'm trying. I'm old, but I'm trying. She's not scared of flooding and she's on TikTok. Wow. <laughs> a hero for our time. And also, if you'd like a little tasty extra of me and Sana in conversation, I've actually also been a guest on Sana's podcast. We're, we've been reading the Day of the Triffids together. And we're talking about the apocalypse in the British countryside. Ooh, deep, dark, dirty, and um, it's making me scared of my houseplants, if I'm honest. So <laughs> definitely go and give that a listen as well. 